I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show, a fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. So as is now a sort of end of year tradition, we are here with our, this is now our, what, what year are we up to? This is now our fourth sort of year in review wrap up episode. It's hard to believe that this is now the fourth, the fourth one, I, I, 2016, 17, 18, 19. That's right. This is the fourth year. Does that? It, that's scary. That's slightly terrifying, they said, isn't it? They said we'd never last, Liam. They said we'd never last. <laughs> I think we said that maybe rather than, <laughs> rather than they. <laughs> Uh, I don't think anyone was listening at that point. It's possible. So if this is your first uh, wrap-up year interview episode, we tend to do these at the end of the year. The basic structure is we we sort of look back at the previous year and sort of each pick, you know, an event or a thing or or something that either sums up the year or we think was the most important uh, event of the year. We then very – this is the the, the fun part that I'm most looking forward to is we we – uh, do some make some predictions for the following year, so some predictions for 2020. But the best bit of this is, we I then go back and I've listened to the last year's year interview episode and have listened to our predictions for that year, and we have a bit of a competition about who's done best. And it's another hilarious, uh, hilarious listen that one. I, I tell you. always fail at this one, Liam. No, you I don't. Have crap predictions. I don't. Doesn't Lisa usually win each year, Liam? No. Well, what I, what I can say, Lisa's got the best record so far. Lisa picked one in our, so she 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 got a 2017 prediction right, but it's been downhill for all of us since then. But I am I am I look. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I can say that one of us has done pretty well this year. But I'm, I can't say any more than that until we get to that section. Uh, and then we finish up with a, with a bit of a Q and A. We we sort of put out the call. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, just to if you have any questions for the podcast, and we've got a few. We've also uh, thrown in a couple ourselves that we thought might be, we sort of asked some questions of ourselves. Dorothy Dixes, I think they're called uh, from the from the Australian Parliament. So that's the basic rundown. So this will be a pretty light, fun episode. We should say this is also a bit of a groundbreaking episode for us here because this is the first sort of international uh, episode of the podcast. Leanne, are you happy to tell the listeners where you're calling in from? <laughs> I am right now in Manchester in England, which is um, very cold, very windy, and probably has more fresh air than my hometown. So I'm uh, calling in from there. That's pretty exciting. I think this is definitely the first international record we've had, I think, in over 115 episodes. I I think it is. I think, well, Lisa did at one stage call in from an island off um, New South Wales, (laughs) but... That could that probably wasn't international. That was kind of weird, um, but because of the nature of the the island. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is the the first time, and I'm over here doing a bit of, um, I suppose, a bit of study and uh, with one of my supervisors, my PhD supervisors, Fran Press in Manchester Metropolitan Uni. And speaking at a conference. Oh, I here, like so. the call out. That's, that's <laughs> yes, a good call, call out. out there. <laughs> yeah, who, who defected and has come over here. So it's um really it's very fun being here, but it's also very fun being part of our first international episode. Well, I, I was. You know, it, it sounds like you're just down the road. Like I didn't know <laughs> that you were there. If I didn't know that you were there, <laughs> maybe I'm. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> well, I think even going around to the other side of the world, and you cannot escape your commitments to this ridiculous podcast, Leanne. So thanks and apologies in equal measure. Well, Liam, you know, it pays so much. I know I need to show up. <laughs> 
That's right. We've got to the point of denying leave, unfortunately. So even when you're, <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it's it's that point of the year. The staffing's the staffing's tight. We're all stretched. People have just got to we just got to put in. Um, but before, just before you go on, yes. Liam, can I let you both know something really exciting? I've finally lost my cough. It was it's like you know the thirty six week oh, cough. That's been the background of this entire it. year of this podcast. I know. Lisa. That's so I've exciting. Congrats. But I also have to say I have this suspicion I have the hoarseness of everyone in Sydney at the moment as um, we try and breathe through the smoke of the bushfires, so I apologise for any hoarseness. Well, you're not coughing. You might be hoarse, but our thoughts and prayers are with you, Lisa. (laughs) Somehow they don't do much, Um, so before we get on to the, those sort of main topics for the night, we did want to cover, there's been a little bit of a flurry of news in the last sort of week or so. We should say we're recording this kind of mid-December and we're going to release it a little bit later. So this news has sort of been floating out there for a little while, but we wanted to make sure we covered it because there's particularly, I think, some advocacy wins as well as just some interesting sector uh, info. So we'll start with the really positive news that uh, recently the Australian government's announced some ongoing funding for a CEQA. So we know, I think we, I'm trying to remember the last episode we sort of touched on this. It might have been the All the Reviews News episode, but there has been some funding concerns for a sequence. The government over in the previous budget uh, sort of cut some ongoing national quality agenda funding, but it looks like, and I think, Lisa, you sort of did some investigative work and found out this was three years of funding commencing from 1 July That's right. 2020. Yep. And, and I think, look, I think we, that, that we should just acknowledge that news is out there, but this, I think we can sort of claim this, you know, this, there must have been some good advocacy going on somewhere here. I know we, well, we, we've certainly been talking about it, but I've seen a lot of discussion on, uh, you know, social media and other forums. I think, you know, whether we may not know exactly why the, the Australian government does anything it does, let alone this particular commitment, but that's that, that's a good outcome for a sequel in the sector. Great. Someone suggested to me last night that it was an easy one for them to do because it had a set amount of money, it wasn't much money, and given that everyone's going to be on their case about education, given the PISA results, you know, this was at least something they could do that was concrete. Well, I mean, it shows where we're at when we say, well, we're very grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, sad, isn't it? Um, the other bit of news that's just worth touching on is that the uh, the review into the universe, the, the sort of partnership for universal access funding, so this is the, the money for four-year-old preschool, uh, has... Now, this is a complicated one, I think, because we're recording this before the report's been released. By the time this episode comes out, I think the report will be out, so we can't sort of... Oh, no, I've not. heard that the report may not come out for quite a while because it's got so many recommendations in oh, it that wow. the government wants to examine it. But that could be wrong. Who knows? Well, there is, as I think you're about to say, Liam, as we record this, the first day of the Education Council has happened and tomorrow afternoon they'll release their communique and then we'll discover if there's anything about preschool funding in it. But, the, Liam, the broad, back to you. Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say the broad recommendation is is for, for funding for preschools. But what when you say there's so many other recommendations, Lisa, what would be the nature of those? Um, possibly recommendations about three-year-olds, certainly recommendations about um, things being sector blind, um, you know, so that wherever a child is receiving their early education, they should be funded. Um, certainly mm-hmm. some recommendations about if you want the money states, you've got to, you know, put your own money where it is, Um recommendations about the 
how, you know, that it should be five years of funding so that everyone has some certainty about what's happening. Um, yeah, they're the ones that I've kind of heard mentioned. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. but th- this seems like it's going to be another report saying early education is fantastic. Can we just fund it properly, please? That'll probably go on the shelf with all the others. We can probably guess, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's funny. I kind of thought that too, but um, it is a little bit strange in that the Education Council commissioned it and as I um, was thinking last night, yeah, the Education Council, which is mostly um, made up of those states that want preschool funding and one vote from the Commonwealth who doesn't want to have to find the money for preschool funding, so, you know, like, it'll just add more pressure on the feds, I think, to fund it. Mm. Well, they've been very resistant to that pressure for the last uh, six years, so we'll see how they go, I guess, for the for the next three at least. It's funded in, a, in an ongoing sense yes. for, a, for a longer period of time. I mean, I think they haven't been um, resistant to making everybody beg and then throwing out a few bits and pieces, but this would be hopefully ongoing for a, a period of The Treasurer, Josh Feidenberg, I saw a, a press conference with him a couple of days ago where he was sort of proudly saying how, how they'd funded the, the the preschool funding for six years. And I went, well, I don't know how proud you can be of that, given it's always been done at the last minute and through gritted yeah. teeth. But yeah. anyway. And, and leaving and leaving the, the sector in a, a state of, you know, really, really anxious about what what they can do in terms of their planning and whether they can even enrol children for the following year. So, it's there's nothing to be proud about that. That's actually just holding people hostage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll be interested to see if we we do move to a, a longer block of funding. One of the things about that, Liam, is that the submissions that everyone wrote are up there on the um, NAS website, and. Ah. Um, it's interesting how fewer submissions they are, like the peaks, a few large providers, a few unions, you know, and someone wonderfully got um, quite a few education professors from different early education professors from different universities around oh, the, wow. st- the world. I kind of suspect that might have been the Wollongong, government, uh, Wollongong University that organised that. But, um, yeah, the, the, there wasn't that many submissions but but when i mean think part of that is that everybody's got fatigue and doesn't often know what what's actually what's happening i'm not saying there are excuses for that but it's there's been so many reviews or policy changes or whatever that i think sometimes it's very confusing for people as to what what opportunity to put something forward is there yeah for sure yeah. And then the very last thing is uh, just a uh, technical sort of um, uh, bit of news around the childcare subsidy. So uh, Dan the Man Tian has just announced a few uh, minor amendments to the family assistance law to, uh, as they put on their uh, on their press release, to cut red tape and make life easier for families and providers. There's there's a few there's a list of about four or five things there. I might just hit the you know the two that I think are the most interesting. One is an absolute no brainer, and I can't believe it has taken this long uh, to do. But they've changed uh, the amount of weeks that we, which enrolments automatically cease if they're not attending uh, from eight to 14 weeks. And I think this is one of the first things we raised when we started ranting about the childcare subsidy 
Yeah, I know it's the jobs of them. Yeah. But for anyone who's unaware, this particularly was a huge issue for vacation care uh, programs, which obviously uh, did not have children attending for uh, ten weeks uh, or most of the time. So they would have to re-enroll every single child uh, in the vacation care. You know, every every time it rolled around. So this, you know, that, that's now increased to fourteen weeks and will take effect from January twenty twenty, and is just an absolute no-brainer. Mm. Thank goodness. That's right. And then the the second thing that we're worth is highlighting is that the additional childcare subsidy for child wellbeing, there was a limit on the number of children that a provider could um, essentially put forward for that uh, for that, um, that that payment, which was fifty percent, and that's now been removed. And it actually says there's no limit at all. Which uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where there, I can't imagine there are that many services. You know, looking at um, more than fifty percent of the children attending, uh, but there will be a very small pocket, and for those services, this will be a, a, a really much needed change. I note that they say that they'll retain the capacity to impose a limit if necessary. Yes, they'll be for so if they find rotors, they'll do it. Lim, <laughs> they. They want the two, although I'm very pleased about the 14 weeks on, they want the two that um, hit me. It was the last one, which is enabling the minister to create a rule to allow certain third-party contribution to fees, such as state territory government payments, to be used in combination with CCS to ensure cost is not a, bar- a barrier to vulnerable and disadvantaged children. And that made me think that they actually were going to fund preschool funding. Oh, really? Because, you know, then um, the, the, that money comes from the states, you know, you could get CSS, CSS and the preschool funding contribution. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to watch. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, we've I think we've we've hopefully breezed through the news there. Um, I will include links to all of those, uh, you know, all those uh, articles or stories online. It's worth checking them out, uh, particularly if you're a service provider. You know, actually reading the detail of the the childcare subsidy changes, we'd really recommend. There's a few uh, little, and they all seem largely positive. But I guess let's move on to the first of our main event for this celebratory end of year uh, review. So we're going to sort of go round. I was going to say round the table, round the virtual table that is half the planet wide now because we're 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 in disparate locations and we're going to sort of say we're going to look back at 2019 at the year that was and just each pick you know an important or a key event or or something that sort of summarized the year for us and we're picking on you first lisa so what are you slamming down on the table for for 2019 as we as we very much look forward to looking at in the rearview mirror i might say yeah for sure to me the only event was the election you know um I think that we'll look back on this year for years and years to come and this election as the last time that early education was a focus, was a real focus of the election. Um, Now, I stupidly started off the election saying we'll never be a focus in this one and by the end of it was going, whoa, I didn't think we'd get that much attention. But what shocked me about it well, first of all, why I don't think it'll ever happen again is because um, the I don't think any party would go out with as detailed policies on so many areas as what happened this time. And so that naturally means that early education is hardly likely to get a look in. But what shocked me with this election more than anything was 
two days before the election, I was on the on Facebook um, groups, as I often am in early education care, and I just heard all of these educators saying, "Not going to vote for him. He's good at spending." You know, they were talking about um, Bill Shorten. He's good at spending other people's money. It'll never happen. Early childhood educators will ne- never get a raise. And I realised that a large number of people were going to vote against their best interests. And that was kind of a shocking realisation for me at the age of 56 that people could actually um, absorb so much propaganda that they would vote against what was primarily their own interests. Yeah, I do remember you wrote an article, I think, for uh, the framework I was working on about sort of that exact stuff it was a it was a bizarre it was a bizarre thing where we never had so much focus i think on early education but the the reaction and the sort of backlash against it in the sector and without i think was also kind of surprising yeah shocking <laughs> we're, we're so shocked i was gonna let leanne weigh in but then i think we're all a bit too shocked oh, by that, by that election just... Sometimes I'm not sure because I think that this is where the I understand what you're saying about educators voting against their best interests, and I I sometimes think that the positions that that we feel are common positions are not actually that common, and so there's a proportion of people who take the view that, you know, these things will be good for early childhood and that's what we should be basing our vote on. But it's just it's just not a big enough issue for people even in, in the sector because there's other sort of more broad issues that they feel less comfortable. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, but- I, and I think that we talk ourselves into thinking that it's a common view, but what I guess leadership around the world would, would tell us that, when we don't really, you know, you're not holding that common view. Yeah, look, I I agree with you, but I also heard people actually, this was, I heard people say this was one of their main issues and they were going to vote against Shorten. Yeah. Yes. Well, fascinating. didn't work out well, did it? No. Yeah. I think, look, I, I think... I, I, I think probably even Leanne and I would agree that you know that twenty nineteen for earlier that that was the sort of key event, and obviously Leanne and I were bringing other things to the table as well. I think, but I think that's for a number of reasons. So um, I've got some sympathy for what you've talked about there, Lisa, because I know we we talked about that sort of on the podcast and offline as well about uh, sort of surprise about some of the reaction in the sector to that. But I think. It was also, and this is probably true for so many, you know, particular parts of our community, but the election, I think, was surprising to almost everyone, not least probably the, the Liberal and National Party. But it it seemed to crystallise for, for, you know, looking back at it now six months later, what sort of stands out is, I think, how assumed it was that, that Labor were going to win and therefore that we were going to be entering a dramatically different area of early childhood policy with that was going to be, you know, somewhat more progressive. It looked like, you know, the activity test would be retained to some degree, but there would probably be maybe um, some, some some tweaks that would make it better. But we knew that they would be looking at educator wage funding. They would be looking at three-year-old, you know, well, they're committed to three-year-old preschool. Uh, so there was this kind of feeling that we were entering this next era of, you know, early education policy in Australia. And instead we're kind of, 
stalled in this same gear that we've been in for the last six years. And that's, I think that's it, that's uh, that that's a strange position to be in when you kind of you expect either you know a good or a bad outcome rather than a good or a kind of they're the same old same old outcome. But what, yeah. but what what also meant for me is that you know we were we were so excited by those announcements from a party that that could that could be reasonably expected to form government that I think we then it wasn't until after the election we realised that the community advocacy work had really not taken place and that people aren't yet buying that you know the the early education advocacy story in australia and you know leanne you're calling from the uk where they're all you know they're increasing funding for free access to early education for two-year-olds and we can't see there's this community barrier in australia so we can blame the government all we want but really this is but they they, you know that this is a community issue for me where people aren't seeing that as something that's worth fighting for and funding and then voting for at the end of the day so i think and this was definitely something you articulated quite well, Lisa, which is we kind of need to maybe go back to basics a bit with our advocacy and what messages are we selling? Are they clear? Are they simple? Or are they fragmented and complicated? Yeah, and are they carried by one organisation or one – are we all singing from the same choir book or, or have we got 20 million variations on it? Yeah, maybe it's it's the big the big message rather than trying to, to tweak the – you know parts of it as well yeah and i think the the other thing that will be the issue is that it's so it's as you sort of said lisa but to 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 put it specifically it's very unlikely that you know the labor party will be going to the election in 2022 with anything like the kind of early education policies they put forward this year and i think that's that you know that's a real shame as well yeah, so I think you're right, Leanne. Let's just go to the next election with something like that all children will get access to early education from birth onwards and mm. leave it at that. Mm. Yeah, make it make it one message. And who, who can disagree in the sector about that for a start? Oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sure, sure we'll find someone. someone. Will find. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not birth. Children shouldn't be in early education from birth. And Why do you have to call it early education, yeah? Like, really, couldn't you come up with a better name for it? That just sounds like something that, you know, where children are sitting in front of desks. And shouldn't we call it play-based education? <laughs> Will I continue? How many stars yeah. does it have? <laughs> Clearly not enough. All right, well. Thank you, Lisa. I think you probably hit the you know the big the big dividing line for this year. So, uh, Leanne, now that we've sort of got the election off the table, what are you what have you what have you brought for us for twenty nineteen? Well, it was interesting. Lisa only talked about one election, but we had two in two in New South Wales. But anyway, we won't we won't go down that path because that wasn't going to make any there wasn't going to be any change there anyway. Um, but uh, for from my perspective, it was the year of nothing much, and I suppose it goes back to the bigger picture you know that we we really want this much broader view around the provision of early childhood education and that the value that that holds but instead of that big broad message and making some gains on that it's just been tiny little tweaks along the way which haven't really progressed anything and I think we've become so used to just having very small things happen and being grateful for whatever is is thrown um, is thrown towards towards us, and so really nothing much happened. There was nothing kind of significant in terms of. Oh, I hope I've missed something, but 
big and wonderful reports that actually made a significant change or big and wonderful actions that, that made a big change. That's in terms of what might trigger the change. But on the other side, a lack of consideration for early childhood education. It was really only about the mechanics of delivering that. And that even that was not really very, uh, you know, I think when we're, we're saying that some tweaks to CCS are the bigger things that have happened this year, that that's not really making great gains towards the, the ultimate goal of a early childhood education for every child. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, peek, peek behind the curtain of the podcast, um, I came up with, I think my suggestion was the year of meh. And Leanne, I think, had much the same idea. And I think I'm entirely in agreement. And I think, you know, for me, yeah, someone, even someone who's, you know, working for a provider currently, uh, you know, uh, operating early childhood centres, one of the things that sort of surprised me, I was going to sort of narrow it down to the childcare subsidy. And obviously, um, the, the history of this podcast is aligned with a lot of the, the pre-work around the Jobs for Families package and the legislation and then the, the, the sort of fallout. And what sort of, in trying to sort of think of, um, I feel like I'm stealing Leanne's idea. I've, I've got to, while I'm desperately trying to think of my own now because Leanne's had a very good idea that I had, <laughs> is that even with the, what kind of surprised me is that, you know, one year in or one, well, more than one year past the introduction of the childcare subsidy is that I, the, we, we just don't seem to have had you know that there's not still we're not still fighting about the activity test. We kind of the response to all these things just sort of just sort of seems to be meh. It's what we've got, and we'll, we'll kind of just live mm-hmm. with it. And that, and that that's and you can kind of see that in in sort of ways with you know universal access funding. So the government who was surprised who you know clearly so you know Dan Tien was made education minister late last year. They were clearly not thinking they would be in power now. So there was no sort of big events. You know there was no obviously policy announced prior to the election, and they also didn't really go into the election with any policy plan. So we've just had a year of meh, we'll just sort of continue and, and go on. But, you know, so universal access funding, you know, we're possibly ce- celebrating the fact that we've got, you know, sort of another extension and we're going, oh, okay, that's great. You know, a CEQA had funding taken away and then put back, you know, so oh, meh, okay. It, just see, it really just seems to have been a year where we don't seem to be able to, you know, the, the, the most excited the sector got and the most, the biggest response we got from the sector was in a bloody star rating system in New South Wales. I've never said that, that. I think one of the reasons that was so shocking to people and maybe even to uh, peak bodies who were a bit surprised by their reaction was that the sector seemed to have been asleep up until that point. And then all of a sudden we had this event where people went, actually, no, that's not okay. And we got quite excited about it. I would love to have seen that level of energy still about, you know, the activity test or if we'd, you know, if, well, you know, why didn't we have an advocacy push, you know, one year into the childcare subsidy on, you know, first of July 2019 saying you know this is how many children have missed out over the last year because we have this system that's unfair but we just seem to have gone well it's the system we've got and we'll just you know there are good parts and bad parts well I I just I guess from the perspective I understand what you're saying about the response that people have but I think that the complex nature of early childhood, the complexity is increasing and the, the challenges are increasing. In New South Wales, for example, the, there were quite a few issues around the assessment and rating process and people become sort of preoccupied with the assessment and rating process. And it's like, you know, the, the little um, feeder going at 100 miles under the water, the little, what are they called? What are ducks? Paddles. <laughs> Thank you. They're paddling and and staying above and it's there's so many things that are coming in on top it's very complex and confusing and the people who should be 
acting uh, government delivering uh, on this and, and not making everything so complex and so challenging just to deliver an early childhood program. So I, I agree, you know, it did seem like there was the, that, that kind of, it was an issue that, that I, I really polarised people's views, but it was, but there seems to be a lack of responsibility from, from government about what they will do and how simple this could be. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, look, I agree absolutely with that, Leanne. That was kind of more or less what I was going to show say. And I kind of think, Liam, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but you may be showing your age a little bit here because <laughs> this happens whenever a conservative government is in a power for a long amount of time. Because what happens is that your advocacy organisations, your peak organisations are doing that paddling below the surface just to survive. Once, um, uh, you know, once Labor gets into power, more money flows into the sector and then once you're not taking care of the basics, you have more time to be able to fight about the nuances of policy. And you also have more right to do that because, you know, uh, under, you know, a, a Labor government, they allow, specifically allow um, peak organisations to be advocates. Under, you know, Liberal government, they take away that right. Mm. So I think that what we're seeing is, the you know, the, like... You see a difference if there's only conservative government in in power for you know one um, uh, one term of government, but when they've been in in there for a few terms, you know. And when did they get in, Leanne? Was it 2011? Or was it longer than that? I can't. Yeah, 2013. I can't remember because two. It's it? not that. It's not that long. It's two terms, isn't it? Two. No, but we've had, didn't we have Tony, then Malcolm, then Tony, then... Yeah, this is the third term. Yeah, so we've got a third, this is the third term. Term, yeah. yeah. So it's it's just that lack of money and lack of, you know, um, I, yeah, yeah, ability look, I, to do stuff. I agree. I, I entirely agree with that. I think maybe the point I, I wanted to make is that this isn't just necessarily about how peaks or organisations are doing it, but the all those things are true. Yeah, we still had the sector themselves kind of rise up, you know, with the recent star ratings thing, which means the sector can speak relatively clearly on things that they feel are not okay, which means that even with all those other things happening. So I just wonder if we need to be more targeted or we need to – this isn't necessarily about peaks having to stand to this, but you know, maybe the sector – the sector ourselves, you know, holding ourselves, like going, well, you know, what are we, what are we talking about? What are we standing up for? What are we making sure is remaining on the agenda? Yep. Yes. Yes. Good. Good thoughts to the barricades. <laughs> That's always our final message for the year. I think it's to the barricades. That's right. To the barricades, everyone. Um, <laughs> All right, well, it's my turn to come up with another key one. Look, I, it's one, like I said, my one was going to be basically that theme. So the only thing I think I might add, because I think it's important we note it, I, don't, we, I think we've talked about this uh, throughout the year, so I don't think we need to spend a lot of time going into it, but I think what you can see over the course of this year and, and years previously is that the corporate uh, early childhood sector seems to be in, in trouble, uh, obviously a, a number of particular providers, so GA, 
uh, particularly in the last sort of month or so, G8's share price has dramatically gone down and at the kind of rate that we were sort of seeing with ABC, uh, you know, around, you know, or more than 10 years ago. So, you know, we have things like, you know, we're seeing more articles coming up now around inducements to get, you know, uh, children into centres, offering free iPads, all those kind of things. We seem to be, you know, having, you know, we just seem to be seeing, particularly throughout 2019, you know, a lot of the corporates, you know, struggling and in trouble. And, you know, while whatever our ethical concerns around, you know, the kind of providers should be operating early childhood education, you know, if, if one of them does go down, particularly a large one, that will actually have a pretty negative impact on children and families. So, you know, the question becomes, you know, what does government have a plan? If the state, state governments or the federal government themselves that, you know, if we faced another ABC style collapse, you know, what would be, you know, what, what, you know, what would be the response and what would be the impact on the sector and children and families? Yep. Yeah, and I mean, maybe there are secret plans about what would happen, but that that there was supposed to be sort of like a a, a watch on that, wasn't there? And um, from uh, the department, and what is what is the thinking there? What's going on? Yeah, it's hard to know. Mm. Yeah, but it was this was a difficult. I think this is the hardest year we've had to find. I really struggled to think of a particular events beyond the election, which I knew Lisa would steal. Uh, with that, what, what you know, it was, this was it, because I put it on the run sheet first. Yeah, that's stealing. <laughs> Even before then, Lisa, I knew you were going to have that. <laughs> Given that one was more difficult than usual, let's move on to the fun one, which is predictions for 2020, and probably even more exciting. You know, sub paragraph of that, which is how we did. Last year, so you are we all ready to find out? This is my favorite part. Oh, I know, and you two don't. I'm nervous. Go on, Liam. All right. So, what we can say? So, I'm opening up. I couldn't put this on the run sheet because I couldn't let Lisa and Leanne see it. So, I need to go to a separate, <laughs> a separate bit of software. All right. So who do who do who do wants to go first? I think we might oh, go on publicly humiliate me. All right, Lisa. Yes. Well, unfortunately, it, it probably will be. So, unfortunately, your prediction and it was it was. This is another one, Lisa, it was so hard to go back and listen to this, but your prediction was very clearly, and I'm quoting here, we will have an ALP government nationally and in New South Wales. That was such a happy, optimistic Lisa back then. I remember what I said to this, Liam. I remember, ah, I can't wait till you do me then. That's great. (laughs) Leanne, she was so happy. Like the the optimism in Lisa's voice as she was saying that. I went, where's this Lisa gone? What's 2019 done to her? (laughs) I remember. I remember this. Worn me out, Liam. Yeah. So that's a that's a big X there, Lisa. I can't remember. Is that minus two points, Leanne, or just minus one? What are we, or just a zero? Oh, no. It's minus two. Because it was two elections. <laughs> it's not, Lisa. It's, it's not Rub it in, well. Leanne. Rub it in all the way from London. I know. Leanne, Leanne doesn't make the rules, oh, yeah. Lisa. Leanne doesn't make the rules. She okay. does make the predictions, however. Did you like that segue? So Leanne's prediction was very politically focused last year. Leanne, and you, I do remember as we recorded this, that Leanne, you had a number of sort of interconnected uh, predictions, which made it a bit difficult to say yes or no, which was, I think was strategic <laughs> on your part. But you, so your prediction was, and I can quote this bit, is that the Liberals will stay in power in New South Wales, so there is a tick there, and that Labor will just get in federally. Um, but now the problem, now the problem there is, Lee, you were you were you were doing so well, but then in the next sentence you said, "Oh, but we'll definitely have a change of government, whatever happens." Ah, then, no. So unfortunately, well, 
You both well, put your eggs in the basket of the election. But if we cut Queensland off, we would have had a Labor government. And maybe I, I was just, you know, I just turned my eye away from Queensland. But I think it's hard to think back to even just 12 months ago. It was just no one thought that the Liberals would win. Like the, the, the idea that they would be still in government now was just no one was sensibly saying Hang that. Hang on. Was Scott Morrison even the leader then? He was by then. I think it was like September that yeah. we said goodbye to Turnbull. Okay. Yeah. But it comes back to this thing for me where, you know, that I was saying a moment ago or whatever was um, that I think no when we say no one thought... I don't know that we're completely connected in <laughs> because, <laughs> because I think that a lot of people thought that that, that wasn't going to happen, that we weren't going to have a change of government. And we're just, maybe we're just talking in our own backyards. It's possible. I think, I think it, it, it sort of, well, not halfway through, but the, the leading up to the election, so I think in 2019, People have sort of thought that, but at this point, when we were making these predictions in 2018, it had literally only been two months since they just knifed another prime minister. They were, and mm. it just seemed impossible. But again, you look, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot can happen in a very short amount of time. Now, wow! So I got minus one. Then is that right? I think minus which did say the Liberals were staying in New South Wales, uh, and Labor will just get in federally. So minus one, let's say. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, Gosh, I've, I wish I'd been Okay, asked. what about you? Well, Come I, on, fess I, up. I think we're going to argue about technicalities here, which I'm fascinated to hear what we're going to say. So I, my announcement, I, I think I mumbled something about generally agreeing with what both of you had said, which, is doesn't, which in my view does not count as my prediction. The, the <laughs> prediction I made was that Labor will announce money will go to educator wage increases, which did happen. Now, I think the problem, now I think, the context of how I was saying it, I think, was that they would announce it from government. But my, my, I'm going to say, and say, do you know what? They did announce that. That was their policy. They just didn't win, and it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but that really seems like a minor technicality. Yeah, I think that, that is. If, it doesn't, if you don't deliver, then you don't deliver. Sorry. My, my prediction was not that they would deliver that. it. It was that they would announce that. That was my prediction. That announce it. Oh, right. Okay. the time. I okay. look. This is tricky because I'm. Uh, we may have to go to a third, you know, a third party to who do we who do we trust? Who's the most ethical person in the sector? Is Fran around? No, no. You might need we to trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We'll let you win. Yeah, you win, Liam. Yay! All right, I got one. I mean, this is this is bitter victory because yes, they announced it, but then nothing didn't happen. But you know, yeah. Anyway. Well, so that means that you came first. Yeah. I came second, and Lisa yeah, came yeah, third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. It's, it's always so much fun going back and listening to us twelve months ago with the just poor naive Lisa Liam and Leanne. It was yeah. What, if only we yeah. knew what we knew now. They were young back then. So now we could turn to the point. Bitter. So now we turn to the point where in twelve months' time we'll mock the current predictions we're going to make today. But um, mm. Leanne, do you, what's your prediction for twenty twenty? Well, I I do think that there will be an announcement on universal access, uh, mm. be, whether it's for the five years or whether it is for a shorter period of time. There will be an announcement. I, I just have. I just want to say that it's it's going to be ongoing. That just because I'm just so hopeful 
for that. So that's that's my prediction. And apart from that, I just can't see anything else much happening because I think that there are so many things on the agenda um, that government is addressing at the moment, religious freedom for one, which is terribly important. Um, but there, is, so there, there are bigger things that I think if those, and I think that government wants to ignore those bigger things. So if they're going to ignore the bigger things, then they're definitely going to ignore what is considered to be a smaller thing, which is early childhood education. But that said, I'm I'm gunning for the um, for an announcement on universal access, and also in New South Wales, I feel that um, the assessment and rating process will be not under review, but I think that there will be some action on the assessment. Oh, hang on, hang on. You can't do that. They announced that yesterday. You might not have heard because you're... Oh, really? Really? Surely I get that because I didn't actually see that. (laughs) Can can we just fast forward to the end of year 2020 episode and say I won? But but hang on. (laughs) The prediction is for 2020, not late 2019. Yeah, but it's for next year, isn't it, Lisa? Then what's the story there? Yeah, yeah. Look, they just put an email out. Basically, that oh, did they put an email out? Or sorry, I've forgotten now. Yeah, what, I would have received um, that. So, it, no, well, no, I've stopped receiving their emails. <laughs> I've been cut them. off the list. I've been cut, cut off the Christmas card list of the New South Wales government. The Essentially, they're going to become everybody's friends. Ah, okay. All right. Well, yeah, look, it's come out in lots of places. um, uh, They kind of said it in the last lot of roadshows. They've said it um, in the slides of the roadshows that were recently released and then various people have met with them and I think they also put out a, um, a thing about it, you know, so they're going to become a bit more like, um, you know, they're going to spend more time and there's an optional process that you can opt into and stuff to have a different sort of one. Okay. All right. Well, I did not know that, so I'm claiming that victory already. I'm getting ahead of myself now. Yeah. (laughs) But apart apart from that, I I can't see, I can't see too much more than those things. Yeah, it's a tough one because twenty. This is actually this. Uh, this this section is kind of tricky as well because so little happened in twenty nineteen. It's then hard to kind of guess what's going to happen in twenty twenty because there's a lot of balls in the air, like the NQF review and the Asequa mm. review. But it's very hard to predict, you know, sort of where mm. these things will find. The NQF review will probably be won't even be finished by, or at least won't you know the the changes won't be announced next year anyway. Mm, yeah. yeah. All right, Lisa. Well, it's your turn to to go through the the trial by fire. Ooh, What's your prediction? I've got I've got two. <laughs> uh, this is so this is such a risk. You've just got minus two from last year. You want to risk minus two again? Yeah, yep, yep. I reckon the first one will be, and I suspect I made this last year, and you conveniently didn't mention it, but I'm going to do it again. That New South Wales early childhood teachers will win their um, fair work case, and there'll be a um, they'll get an increase in award wages. And wow. my second one is that um, uh, is that I 
think some of the federalism of the NQF is going to break down a bit. Uh, uh, states yeah, will start going okay. it alone. Good. Yeah. yeah. Good, good prediction. Well, we've seen mm. that. Like, you know, to me, one of the scariest things about the stars, which I'm sure I said on the program, was that New South Wales would be putting it on as a condition of licence because that's the only way they're doing it. They're also now telling people that they don't have to put in a QIP. QIP, they can just do a sequel self-assessment um, process, which is a bit strange because it doesn't legally have all the requirements that a QIP has in it. But I think they're moving towards their own kind of system a bit. And Western Australia has kind of always been doing their own kind of system a bit. So I think, you know, the, the, all of that, we're all in this together, is going to be dissipated even more. Uh, so how many, how many years was the, so the decision was, what became 2012? 2009 was the decision. The, the decision. 2012 was the implementation so it doesn't take so, long, does it? No, a decade of them all sticking together was it? Yeah, that was <laughs> That's good. pretty good. Yeah, let's think of the positives. Oh, okay. Ten years of brotherhood. <laughs> um, wonderful. Well, my. What about you? What about you, Liam? So I, I did. I really struggled because it's hard to think. There's a, there's an entire. I was wondering whether my prediction would be that 2020 is the year of Merth Part Two, where not much happens. But that didn't seem that would seem to be hard to prove or disprove. My uh, my prediction is going to be that we will see either nationally or with a number of states and territories is the rolling back of the next phase of the planned uh, law and regulation staffing requirements. So we know that there's a huge sort of shortfall in the need yeah, for early childhood teachers. We yeah. know that um, TAFEs and uh, aren't producing enough even diploma qualified educators. Now, what history tells us is rather than a wonderful workforce strategy and heaps of funding on the table to support you know injections of new people coming in, what is far more likely to happen is that they will just roll back a lot of those requirements. They'll either actually roll them back or just not go ahead with the next planned round of, you know, increases to numbers of early childhood teachers in centres and uh, numbers of deployments. Mm. Well, yeah, because that... I, I think mean, you're sadly right. Yeah, the 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 biggest issue we do face in the, the sector is the workforce issue, isn't it? It's like the one yeah. big headliner, so... And there's mm. just, there is no chance this current government will invest in that area as so it's far easier for them so if you're faced with the decision of well, let's invest in staffing or let's just you know well the sector seems to be meeting their requirements now you can argue whether that's true or not so let's just not move forward with the next round and we'll just keep it status quo mm. Oh, okay. Which it, it is worth pointing out, it's a shame. I think you know, there are probably people listening who probably would breathe a sigh of relief around that. And I do understand that it is, you know, for people actually operationally trying to do this, facing recruitment crises and shortages, I think it's easy to go, 
yes, can we just push those off? And But yeah. it's important to remember that there was a reason they were put in place. There was a reason this was meant to roll out from 2012 to 2020 was that this is better for children. And even if even when it's challenging and difficult, we need to, I think, always remember to be advocating for that, but at the same time advocating for government to support that. So it's not the sector, well, should, be, the sector should be left alone to fix this crisis and, and the sector yeah, can't right. fix this there crisis. Was, yeah, there's no workforce strategy that went with that requirement, uh, you know, whatever workforce strategies we had have either sort of finished or um, different states have their own smaller versions of that. So you, it, it's impossible to achieve those things without a proper strategy around it. Absolutely. All right. Well, I look forward to reconvening in 12 months' time to uh, either celebrate victory or, or wallow in defeat, which seems well, more likely. Liam, I've already won, so I think that you need to call. <laughs> oh, this, 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 this is where's our rot alert button? This seems like rotting of the system internally in the podcast. I'm, I'm not happy with this. All right. Well, I think I'm sorry, but that was not announced in my in my time zone. Leanne is determined to to press this case. I like it, but uh, <laughs> I like it. You're in it to win it, Leanne. I, I admire the passion. Can we say that? <laughs> So I think we've now got time for a few questions. So thanks to everyone who's uh, sent them in via the uh, little survey we had or, or chucked them to us on uh, social media. Um, the first one the first one is a bit, a bit more of a comment, I'll say, and it might just be a, a, a starting point for a conversation. Um, but Ro has said that um, uh, she believes professional development is vital for us to evolve educators, but the... Do I have to bleep this out if I say this? I don't think so. It's the end of the year. We're all, it's like the end of your Christmas party. Um, but the crap that is emailed daily by, let's call them quacks. It's insulting to me. Um, not everyone sees the agenda to feed, uh, uh, you know, I think, you know, consultants and all those organizations that, that sort of see make money from getting you to fix things um, when wages and budgets are substandard. And I do like this. Can we give them a star rating too? So I think what Rose saying is um, she seemed quite cranky as she typed this, which I do get. I think I mentioned this in a podcast probably six months ago where I mentioned that my one of my first jobs coming in on a Monday, so I manage the sort of children's services inbox at our organization, is just deleting the 50 emails that have come in that are selling some new innovative product that will solve documentation or, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and it seems like the sector is a bit drowning in that kind of commodification mm. of the work we do. So, again, I don't think Rory's got a question for us here, but maybe just to open up to comment. I mean, my comment is, yes, bro, I completely agree. And un unfortunately, that's the symptom of, you know, the private nature of the sector. And the only way to solve that, as I think, is a dramatic reform of the sector, which seems not on the agenda at the moment. Yeah, I think where there's no funded professional development, it's sort of led to, well, the market grew at that time anyway, because there was more opportunity. But um, this, I, I agree. And, and, I think it's the, the onus is on the individual really to just be evaluative about what they what comes up for their uh, staff and what comes up that's available. But in the end, the best professional development is things like coaching and mentoring and, um, you know, reflective um, practice and critical reflection. So I just say try and use whatever money you've got to give team, teams time together to critically reflect um, on practice. Yep. Absolutely. 
All right, I'm going to chuck this next one to you as well, Leanne, if that's okay, because I think you might have an interesting view on this. So the next one is from Chloe, and it is, how are services resisting academic pushdown whilst also educating the community about the value of early childhood education? These two ideas coexist for educators, but can cause confusion for those outside the sector. <laughs> I'm sure we've all got um, we've we've all got the same view on this, but I'm not assuming anything. Um, is that you know it is about that instructional uh, pushdown and how the ideas coexist because I think educators are responding to um, a, the bigger agenda, what families are, are perhaps talking um, about, and also um, the. You know, there's so there's so much talk about standardised testing that it's no wonder families are really anxious and and wanting this academic pushdown. So I think that from my perspective, the conversation has to change at at the schools level first, um, and and then you know that that then uh, ensures that early childhood education can be just that early childhood education, which is appropriate for children, as appropriate as opposed to being appropriate in people's minds about what what they think children need at this stage. And, and over here, they're apparently doing this testing before school for on children. And Lord help us if that Ooh. in Australia. Yeah, so there's there's that, that I mean, that is, you know, the systemization of academic pushdown. So I don't think that I've actually answered Chloe's question, but all I would say is look to all of the incredible stuff that's coming out. Parsi Salberg's done something on uh, play. I haven't listened to it. It's probably saying similar things to what we've all been saying about play-based learning and, and how important that is and, and just standing strong and being able to explain what early childhood education is to everyone. I think that's the, you know, put some put some work into having everybody skilled up in expressing uh, professionally how what what early childhood education means and how important it is absolutely yeah yep. some good points there yeah all right well we've got another one now from grace uh, and this is a good one so lisa i might start with you on this one how do you achieve respect for different ways of working philosophies valid points of view it's i don't know how this needs a whole episode in of itself i think but What's, 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 oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it does actually. Because look, and I'm very sorry, Grace, but my instinctive reaction is you don't. I think, um, you know, much like Anthony Saman always says, you've got to pick your lane and then you've got to stick to it. You know, now, you know, if you believe passionately that what you're doing is right, then. You can, you know, it's hard to have respect for different ways of of working, you know. I don't, I've rarely heard people disagreeing with other people when the basic, you know, pre, uh, uh, denominator is in the interests of the child. Now, they may do that through Montessori or they may do that through Reggio or they may do that, you know, a million different ways. But I don't think they ever lose that core understanding that that's what they're doing it for. And how can you possibly, you know, not respect someone that is doing something that might be different from what you're doing but it still has that core value? But when you see people 
who don't have that core value, it's your absolutely obligation to not respect them. I don't think you have to try. Well, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you about that. Yeah, of course you would. Okay, <laughs> if that's okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, obviously I agree with you about in the interests of children, but I think the, the interests of children are look different to different people as well. So we, we may consider the interests of children in, in terms of what we were just talking about um, as, as not um, working to the standardised testing. But then others would say, well, what are we doing for children if we're not working to standardise testing? Are we putting them, are we making them outliers? Are we, you know, so I think that there there are some of those challenges in who who decides what is in the interests of children. And I think that if you're thinking about, you know, philosophically, um, I, I like the idea of speaking to rather than speaking against. So it's, um, and I'm probably not the person who said that, but it's speaking to those other ways and saying, okay, let, let's sort of unpack this and let's do this together because there, there must be some point, some common points of interest and some common points of agreement that then can be the foundation for moving moving forward on those things. Because I think if we speak against all the time, then we're never going to be able to come together on those viewpoints. All right, well put, Leanne. Now we have two more questions from some people called Lisa and Leanne. I can't wait. To, I might um, actually... <laughs> I thought we were going to pretend that these questions were asked by other people. Well, I was going to say these these questions can't be from listeners because I know that Lisa doesn't listen to the show. So this, this isn't you can't really listen to questions. But um, but Lisa, why don't you ask your question of Le- so Leanne and I can tackle? Okay. Well, look, yeah, you know, it might have been another Lisa. You don't know, yeah. But it's what can we do when staff turn up with workbooks and assignments for these certificate certificate and diploma courses? that are absolutely crap. <laughs> Resist. 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 Oh, I mean, that's Don't a... sign off on them. It's hard, yeah, I mean, beyond... I guess there's two questions here. I don't no, know. no, no. Sorry, Leanne, I don't mean that the staff... Um, that the staff are, haven't done, you know, good work. I mean that the actual workbooks that they're being given... The actual questions ..and the questions in the assignments that are being asked are crap. Yeah, no, I I, I think I did understand that, and I'd say oh, don't sorry. sign off on them. I still say the same thing. I think that it's going back to the um, whatever the organisations are and saying they're not adequate. Oh, I love that. I know that's really... I know that's hard because people have paid their money and... Yeah. and um, you know, they or or the the organisation might be paying the money, but I I believe that if we say it's okay for people to be um, qualified and, and achieve a qualification through substandard materials, then we're saying that's okay for children. Mm, I like it. So, what have you sort of I seen? Like that too. Are they? Is it that the questions oh, look, are not I, comprehensible I, or that they're yeah, badly... Yeah, questions that just don't make sense. Like I had someone last night tell me about um, one of, you know, someone that was studying at their centre brought um, the questions to them and said, you know, 
like I need to explain your structure. And so she explained the structure that the management committee was the approved provider and that the and she as the director was the nominated supervisor. And the person came back in tears and said, you know, I just failed that. And she showed her the diagram that the you know, director had drawn with the um which the assessor had, you know, written all over it. No, the committee can't be the approved provider. That's wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Yeah, and, like, more and more I'm seeing, like, questions that are just so badly worded that you just think, I don't even, you know, know what they're trying to get as an answer there. Questions about the regulations that I can't answer. And, like, I know my regulations, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's not that it's some obscure regulation that I, I don't know about. It's just a misrepresentation of what the regulations would want. One mm. um, that came up last night was... If you're, uh, um, you know, what's the penalty for for breaching your regulations or policies? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how do you answer that? Oh, my God. You're forced to do this assignment. That's the, that's the, <laughs> that's the punishment. Someone, I liked what someone said today was that they always used to rewrite their questions, you know, <laughs> and oh, like then say... Or say alternatively, I don't actually. I you know your question is nonsensical, but what I think you meant to ask was this. But you know, like we're we're hearing more and more about practice in centres that isn't great, and is it any wonder if people are you know going are doing their courses primarily out of workbooks? that have been made up and, um, you know, adjusted, you know, to the NQF rather than rewritten when the NQF came out 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, like it's, you know, like they're not getting any face-to-face -face learning. They're learning from workbooks that have garbage information in them. Mm, yeah. And I and I guess that's the, the point like every every person who's signing off on that, that's where I think there has to be a conversation. I know there's not time, I understand that, but there will be more time spent in retraining that person uh, post their qualification because mm -hmm. they haven't they haven't learnt the things that need to be learned. And not everything can be learnt in the, you know, in, in that sort of training. But if it's blatantly wrong or not not working to a good sort of professional development ethic, then mm. what's what's the point? I'm trying to think of something mm. that's not time-consuming either for maybe the student themselves or the service, but the, the uh, RTO sector has a regulator, doesn't it? Could you just report them to the regulator? Uh, well, no, because that would be... The, I'm not, you could, yes, but I don't know that it would go very far because at this stage... Um, un, unless there were probably former former issues with that um, RTO. So I think it is in the review of all of these things and and in, yeah, just to navigate. Yeah, I, look, you're right, but I... Okay, I, look, I've got, I've got a suggestion. Let's have a, a little bit of um, radical action on the ground. <laughs> Every time you see a question like that, ask, the, you know, whether it's someone's posted it onto a Facebook page or, um, you know, a staff member comes to you for an answer on it, 
take down the name of the RTO, send the RTO the question back and say this isn't, you know, correct or this is really badly worded, you know, it's incomprehensible. And unless, you know, um, you take action to improve this, I will publicly shame you by putting this on um, every Facebook page with the name of your, you know, as coming from your organisation. I reckon that that would work. Yeah, but that's only if you kind of think that what you've got there in the first place is is average, you know, and I, I think that many RTOs, particularly those that are not um, early childhood specific, would consider that what they have there is okay. Yeah, but if you if you say, you know, I work in this sector, this is a bad question, this is wrong information, you know, you need to fix it. Unless you send me an email telling me how you'll fix it, I will publicly shame you. I've got a better idea. <laughs> refund refund to public institutions to deliver qualifications, give them enough money to do them, oh. to, to do it well. I think Leanne and get rid cracked of the it. private RT. <laughs> I feel like we're being unfair to our listeners. We spent far more time on Lisa's question than any of the uh, any of the other ones that came in. So I'm drawing a line under Leanne's excellent suggestion, which I think is the actual solution. Um, now, Leanne, I think you have a question for us. And I should say, uh, long-time listener Bridgie had a very similar question. So I am sort of combining the two at the end here. But Leanne, what's your, what's your question for the Brains Trust at the Early Education Show? All right. Well, I will give a little bit of background to my question, but I will be quick, obviously, in saying that. I, this week I noticed the um, Civicus Monitor, which is the um, – it's a collaboration between human rights organisations around the world to assess democratic freedoms in 196 countries. And um, Australia's rating was downgraded from op- open – to narrowing in terms of democracy, the status dropped. So, and that's um, due to police raids on media outlets, prosecuting whistleblowers and crackdowns on peaceful protest. And I I felt that this is something that comes down the line. So this happens on the bigger level with government narrowing democracy. But then that's the sort of rhetoric that then is reflected um, in uh, across across society and across the community. So then people start reflecting these ideas of, you know, that's not okay to speak out about that or that's not okay because it's it's a reflection of what higher powers say. And I, I think that if we are going to have open debate and if we are going to have advocacy, especially in early childhood education, we need to be able to speak about the things that are on our minds and speak about. We've got a right to advocate. Uh, every early childhood educator and professional, the, the same thing, has the right to advocate. So I just wanted to put on there that we should be advocating in 2020. Um, and so I was interested in what it was exactly that we should be advocating on and to encourage people to not take on the rhetoric of government that, you know, it's not okay to speak out. Um, that it is very important that we do because if we don't, what what hope do we have? So now I'm going to ask, what should we be advocating on in 2020? The abolition of the activity test. Okay. Can we do one sector one and one non-sector one, I think? Because I think we talk a lot about advocacy in the sector So because that would be my sector one as well. But I'm, in, I'm interested, given the background you've just given, Leanne, I think you're challenging us to think maybe more broader about our community and society at the moment, given Australia's uh, slightly shocking fall in the statistics there. 
yeah, that well, that's right. And even uh, even um, being an advocate or an activist is apparently a radical proposition, which and Lisa sort of foregrounded that when she was talking about we've we've had a conservative government for you know a long period, and and advocacy becomes less palatable. But it's like we've got to stay strong on this and be able to say things and not feel like we're expressing an opinion that is just, you know, you, you just can't do it. Because once we stop doing that, I think that that's, that's a problem. And, yes, I, I agree. It's more broad um, about staying strong in, in being an advocate. So what would yeah, be your... If, gee, that's hard, though, Leanne. Well, yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> well, I, 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 I can answer, I think. My, my suggestion would be, and look, there's so many things I think we can do. So the, the problem with pinning down one is that you're kind of almost saying it's more important or that there's not other things we should be thinking about, which I think there definitely are. But the thing that first comes into my mind is you know, closing the gap for Indigenous children. I think, you know, the, we, we've just seen, you know, since the Closing the Gap reports started in 2008, I think we just see them get you know, either no progress or in some cases going backwards. And we have, you know, this this is the unfinished, you know, the unfinished and shameful work, I think, of this country, what happened, you know, the, the rates at which Indigenous children are removed from their families, the rates at which Indigenous youth are um, criminalised and, and locked in jails, that until we can... You know, until we can, you know, say we started to turn the corner on that, we have this huge unfinished work in in this country, and that, you know, if we had to pick, you know, one thing outside the sector, although the the, the sector's involved in this as well, so this, this to me isn't as simple as outside the sector, but if there was something else we could get involved in, you know, to be getting involved with organisations like Children's Ground or the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, you know, doing things where, you know, we can that that close the gap work really needs to be done. Mm. Mm, yeah. Mm. To me, one of the things I'd like to see working on is about equality of education funding um, and equality, like equality, yeah. Uh, um, Passy Salberg had a very good article, I think it was at the weekend, um, just about the inequality that's built into Australia's education system. And to a large extent, we're free of that in early education because um, mostly, apart from the activity tests, people can get um, early childhood, uh, can get childcare subsidy regardless of income or location in Australia. But it, um, in other areas of education funding, that's not the case, and your postcard very much determines your outcome. Yeah, and so absolutely. I would yeah. like to see every child to have an equal access to education, no matter where they've grown up. Oh, a great yes. thing to advocate for. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Leanne? What would be your answer to that question? Um, I. I actually feel that it would be great to advocate for the capacity that children have to be advocates themselves because what what we've seen in the later part of this year is when children have been activists um, enabled by their their educators there's been an there's been a lack of understanding of children having concerns about, you know, their future or or not understanding things like climate change. And so I think that 
for people to understand children's capacity to be problem solvers and to think critically about their world. So that might be what I would feel would be good to do some advocacy work on in 2020 to help people understand children as great thinkers and who actually have an impact on their own future. Um, and more broadly, I mean, it sort of links with the same thing, but climate change is just such a big a big issue. Um, and, you know, I think that's really been reinforced in the last few weeks. And to bring our politicians' gaze away from, um, take, the, take the gaze away from the ridiculous things that they're thinking about and onto the things that matter. And I don't know how we do that. Oh, God, we're going to end up on a depressing note. Well, I think, look, I think, I actually don't think that's a depressing note. I think that's, I think, yeah, I entirely agree, Leanne, is that we, I think we need to reclaim that idea of children as participants in our community, not just, you know, where things happen to them. And that is work. That's work that, you know, educators can, teachers can do in centres that has a really huge impact. Um, mm. You know, there's a, I think that'd be a great challenge for, for a service to take on in 2020 is really getting the idea of how can we support children to become advocates for the things that are meaningful to them. Yeah, and they and you know I see across um, many early childhood um, services that their their advocacy is strong. Children's advocacy is strong. The problem is, is that people don't believe that they have these opinions themselves. Yeah, and so they they're being um, you know the 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 picture is that children are being told to do particular things by their educators but I think that children are telling educators what they want to do and skilled educators are bringing their concerns um, to the forefront but without being hysterical about it showing children that they have impact in their world and that they can say things and so you know I'm all in favour of um, of children being strong activists and advocates and of course our what we always what we said we always finish every episode with is to the barricades mm. <laughs> i like that um yeah absolutely i think that's great well um yeah I, th- I think we have finished on a bit of a positive note there um now i'm a little more organized this year than i've been in previous ones and i think uh, as we actually wrap up this episode and wrap up for 2019 um it's just to i think it's just a few people we want to thank and you, you two leaping oh. whenever you whenever you want to. I, I think about this after I've sort of recorded or right at the end, I sort of stumble through a few things, but I've actually got a little bit of a list. So I just want to thank all the guests who have joined us on the podcast uh, this year. I think it's, a, it's a, yeah, look, I think it's, a, I, I don't want the trouble is if you start listing them, I'll, I'll miss someone. So I don't want to do that, but you can obviously look back through the podcast feed. What's important to remember with almost all of these is they've recorded late at night. We, we've, we've sort of made this rod for our own backs. We don't have anyone else to blame, but they will often join us, you know, eight, eight thirty at night on a, on a weekday to record. Cause it's kind of the only time we can get in or they make time, you know, other, 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 um, you know, other parts of the day. They obviously don't get paid. None, none of us do. Um, but they, yeah, these are these are significant people in the sector who are doing incredible work who take the time out to contribute to to forums like these. And um, I, you know, I think we thank them every episode. But I think just as a as a group, uh, I'm really grateful for all those people who, when they, you know, one of us calls up and says, "Do you want to do this crazy podcast?" They uh, it, very rarely do people say no. I think there's a great uh, there's a great spirit of generosity out there. Yeah, there's a great spirit of generosity out there in the sector. I think about talking about ideas and sharing knowledge, and I'm 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 so grateful for that 
Um, and as you point, as you both pointed out, I'm so young, but I, you know, this this, <laughs> this podcast, you know, has has enabled me to talk to people I baby never, Liam. baby Liam, I, you know, people that I never thought I'd be able to talk to, and so I'm so grateful <laughs> like, that they did. Like you and me, Lisa. <laughs> That's right, exactly, obviously. Um, in particular, in particular, this year, I want to thank we. This is this was our biggest year for live shows. We did three, so I want to thank all the organisations that hosted us: so ELAA, Social Justice and Early Childhood, and IEU. The, you know, that was a big um, uh, vote of confidence, I think, in, in what we do. That these people wanted to have us come and sort of talk face to face with people. I think people enjoyed them. We certainly had such a great time doing them, and you know, if, if we're lucky, there might be you know one or two uh, next year. Um, I want to quickly thank my, the organisation I currently work for, Northside, who have, you know, on different occasions allowed me to sort of during the day go out and interview someone or um, or pull things together. We've also had lots of educators and people from Northside uh, doing this uh, throughout the year. So I'm really grateful uh, to them, uh, to, you know, my, my direct boss, Anna, and my CEO, Bruce, who um, really uh, champion and, and, and support the podcast in a variety of ways, including on one occasion paying for the travel to one of our, one of, one of the, the live events events we went to which is you know sort of above and beyond what, what they could have expected to do so i am really grateful to everyone at north side <laughs> and then uh you know finally uh well the, the, the everyone who's listened we we cracked a big milestone this year which was um both well two we were over 100 episodes and a hundred thousand downloads which is you know kind of crazy for a podcast that doesn't advertise we we don't really we're not terribly good at you know social media or anything like that we kind of just put it out there and we've we've seen this sort of growing community of people who seem to enjoy what we do um you know it it sort of goes without saying that there wouldn't be you know, look I, th- I think to be honest the three of us are so slightly crazy about early education we would probably keep doing this even if only five people listened a week but the fact that we know <laughs> that there's there's slightly more than that um we, well Liam we know that there would be two listeners because Liam Lisa doesn't listen that's right so. so we've got at least two um I can't even get anyone in my family to listen so that like literally that could be that, that could be the end one but no, neither can I I think my nearest and dearest stopped being a patron because he said he wasn't <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's well, and we can I just point out that I don't listen to any podcasts. It's not just this one I don't listen to. That's right. I mean, I... if that's meant to make us feel better, Lisa, abject failure. But you know, well, that's okay. it's just made, meant to make me not sound like I have a thing against the show. I actually quite like the show. I just can't take information in verbally i need to read it <laughs> fair enough but um i think we, we i think i say some sort of variation on this at the end of every year particularly because at the end of the year we're all pretty exhausted and done but the there is quite a bit of work that goes into the podcast you know we do we all three of us have uh, you know professional and work and family lives and we sort of do this i think for the love of the sector and the love of chatting but we it, it means so much to us when people reach out and comment or um support us on patreon which is very very helpful um but you know even just reviewing the podcast you know saying hi it, it, the amount of times this year in particular people have just come up to us and gone, oh, my God, you're the people, you know, on the podcast and it's so strange yeah, it's seeing you in person. Scary, yes, isn't it? It is a bit weird. But um, it, it, I had yeah, a fan yeah. ask to take a photo of me with me oh, last wow. week and that was very scary. <laughs> <laughs> Basking at least, it's entirely deserved. Um, <laughs> and then... And Liam, just before you go on, can Leanne and I thank you? Because oh, you've got it. I was about to thank a, you too. 
No, we've got to thank here's your, you. Here's your flowers, Liam. <laughs> this is such a <laughs> self-indulgent section of the podcast. from London. <laughs> no, but Liam does all the hard work of editing and especially sometimes some of the interviews, we just give him little bits of things that he has to somehow pull together into um, an episode. So thank you for all your hard work. And yes. for Thank you, you know, maintaining the website and producing the podcast and being the one that puts it all out there on social media. Thank you. Well, yes, I, big thanks. I'm grateful for that. And, you know, I, I count myself as one of the luckiest people in the sector that I get to talk with the two of you every week or every fortnight these days. That's, there's a lot of people that I think would pay for that privilege and I get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is really gone bad. <laughs> so that's it. That is it for the Early Education Show for 2019. Thanks for everyone who's listened. We will be back next year. It's very possible that because of how broken my brain is at the end of this year, maybe a little bit of a longer break than we normally take, but we will definitely be back. We're looking forward to uh, putting the year of meh behind us and the year of, let's, let's, let's be optimistic, the year of positive advocacy for early education and great things happening for the sector in, in 2020. Can we can we end on that positive note, do you think? Yes, we can. Yay. All right. Thanks to everyone. For a little break at the end of the year. Put your feet yeah. up and oh, be nice to yourself if nobody else will. <laughs> we'll see you in 2020. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.